Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews, although we haven't done one of those in so, so long. My name is Ryan Howard. I am your host and king of the boneheads, and tonight we are doing one more solo show. I promise you guys I have an interview book for next week. We're going to get back to that here in just a little bit. Uh, I just, uh, you know, here so that, uh, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> there, there was supposed to be an actual coherent sentence that I was going to explain why I haven't had, uh, any interviews recently. The explanation is it was the holidays and booking people for interviews on holidays, especially when I'm traveling myself, is difficult. Uh, so now, um, you know, we it's 2021, New Year, uh, same me, hopefully just a little bit lighter. And uh, we will have guests uh, starting next week, and uh, we'll be making that a, a regular thing, uh, you know, having guests on like, uh, like the good old days. Uh, however, I do think that tonight's topic is going to be really, really fun because we're talking about something, uh, outside of RPGs that I am bringing into RPGs, uh, something that I'm very, very passionate about, and that is superheroes and comics. I love comics. I love comics. For anyone who doesn't know, I consider myself more of a DC guy. Uh, it's weird, though, if you look at the merchandise that I have, I have a lot more Marvel merch than DC merch. That's because there's more Marvel merch available than DC merch. When it comes to DC stuff, you can get Batman and Superman, maybe Flash if you're lucky, and Wonder Woman every now and then. There, there's not a lot of kind of like broad availability of Green Lantern stuff and stuff like that. And Batman's my favorite superhero, so I'm not complaining about that. That being said, there's a lot of really great like Marvel t-shirts that you find places and stuff like that. A lot of cool Marvel stuff out there. DC does not have the same kind of merchandising game, in my opinion. Their shirts don't look nearly as good. Uh, I, when I see a cool-looking Marvel shirt, a lot of times I'll go, oh, that's awesome, that's, you know, it's it's usually either, like, you know, Jim Lee or John Romita, uh, whose artwork ends up gracing the t-shirt, and so I'm like, that looks really good, I wanna, I wanna wear that artwork. Uh, when it comes to DC, though, 
uh, a lot of times it's still Jim Lee, but it's Jim Lee New 52 stuff, and I think those costumes are ugly. So I don't want to support that. And that's kind of become the official look of DC's licensing recently, is let's have everyone in their New 52 costumes, you know, the worst look that they possibly could have, where Superman has this weird Mandarin collar with a notch in it for whatever reason, and no one has underwear because no one has underwear. That's actually a thing that I get super passionate about, uh, just to go on a brief tangent here. Uh, this has become Tangent the Podcast. But superheroes, in my opinion, need to have the underwear uh, on, on their costumes. Because it's a break in the color scheme, and it, you know, it, it, it makes everything less uniform. That splash of black in the crotchal region on Batman's costume needs to be there. And I know people look at it and go, that's underwear, why is he wearing his underwear on the outside? Ha ha, aren't we funny making the observation that people have made since the 80s. But when it's not there, there's something a little bit off about the costume. Same thing with Superman. You need the, the red there to break up the blue, otherwise there's just a lot of one color there. I'm the lone man on the island when it comes to stuff like this. I, I understand that. Uh, but for a lot of these costumes, you do need something there to, you know, kind of break up the color scheme a little bit and introduce more of the accent color, which on Batman is either black or blue, depending on the way that he's colored. And on Superman is the red, obviously. So yeah, that's that's a hill that I'm willing to die on. I don't care what people think about it not looking cinematic or whatever. There's a way to make it work. I'm sure of it. Because you see fan films and you see guys who do have the tights on, the, you know, the underwear on the outside, and it looks fine. Uh, and if fan films can do it, then Hollywood can do it. I don't know if it's just, you know, hey, we, we talked to Pattinson's people. He doesn't want to have the underwear on the outside. Or, you know, Affleck really didn't like the fact that you put underwear on the outside. I don't know who's doing it. I don't know what's going on there, but I don't like it. And uh, bring back the underwear. It should always be there. It's non-negotiable. Anyway... We are going to be talking about, uh, similar to what we did with Star Wars, we're going to be talking about how I like to run superhero games. Uh, so we'll be going over systems. Uh, we might do a little bit of a detour into miniatures. Uh, that's actually something that's a little bit difficult with uh, superhero games, is finding generic superhero miniatures. Um... So we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, but we'll talk about some systems that you can run, some resources that are out there for, you know, your major companies, your DC and your Marvel. Uh, there are some available for some independent comics as well. Uh, most notably, I believe, yeah, this past year, um, there was a Hellboy 5th edition hack that got kickstarted 
rather successfully. It was, it was a very cool-looking campaign. Uh, if I were not backing but tons of campaigns this year, I might have even backed it myself. Uh, despite, you know, not being a huge Hellboy fan, I like the movies, I just haven't read much of the comics. Uh, but anyway, those resources are out there. Um, but when it comes to, you know, kind of your own, this is a superhero I made up, it's a little bit difficult, and even places like Hero Forge don't have a lot of good resources for making a superhero mini. Most likely because there's not a lot of superhero games that are routinely played enough to make someone want a custom miniature for their figure. It's easiest to do cyberpunk and fantasy in those miniature creators, so that's why a lot of the options are what they are. That being said, if you're playing a certain type of character in a comic book game, there are certainly... Uh, resources out there uh, to allow you to have a miniature that you'll be happy with uh, and or create one on one of those sites. But beyond just looking at resources that you can use for superhero games, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about my preferred settings that are, uh, you know, generic. You can use your own superheroes. And I'm going to be talking a lot about my philosophy when it comes to running superhero games, because Superhero games are tricky by their nature. A lot of people, and this is, I find this the same when it comes to all genre gaming. Anything that's not fantasy. There's this tendency to try to make it D&D with a different coat of paint on it. Uh, so, you know, you'll be playing a Star Wars game and, and you'll try to make it D&D with lightsabers and Jedi. Or you're playing a Western game and it becomes D&D with six shooters. And when you do that, you, you know, feel this emptiness because you're not... I don't want to say you're not playing right, but you, you really aren't playing right when you do it that way. Because, you know, D&D is one thing and these other settings are completely different. So when you have those fantasy RPG instincts kick in during uh, these genre games that are kind of outside of it uh a lot of times people are just like oh, i want to get back to D and i miss being a wizard i miss you know having a sword and stuff like that and uh then you know you get one two sessions in and everyone's just like oh, let's go back to D D or pathfinder or whatever fantasy game you're you're playing or you know maybe if you're a cyberpunk table everyone's like yeah let's go back to to cyberpunk or uh shadow run but i am here to help you combat those urges to help you uh understand how you can make these games different make them feel different and hopefully keep your players playing a superhero game if that's really what you want to run as a gm because uh, it can be a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool things you can do uh, with a superhero game, and I want to talk about all of them. So uh, real quick, let's jump over to some screen share so I can show you guys some of the uh, the resources that you can lean on when it comes to running a superhero game. Alrighty. So... First things first, I want to talk about some of the resources we have 
if you decide to run a superhero game in either the DC or Marvel universe, um, which from a personal standpoint, I think that's a mistake. I don't think you should run a game in the DC universe or the Marvel universe because immediately your characters are going to feel like they don't matter as much as, you know, the big guys. The second you find yourself in, you know, a, a DC universe role-playing game, if you... Or if your players are not as important as Superman and Batman, uh, then then really you're kind of doing something wrong, because your players should be the most important. They should be the focus of the game that you're running. Now you can avoid those comparisons by um, you know living in different sectors of the universe, but in my opinion you should probably avoid the DC and Marvel Universe. That being said, if you want to do it, uh, there's a couple different games that have allowed for this. The first one uh, we're going to mention here is DC Heroes. Uh, this came out in the 80s, 1985, right at the height of RPGs. Um, there were two other editions, one that came out in 89 and one that came out in 1993. It's put out by Mayfair Games. And I don't know what became of Mayfair Games, actually. Let's see. Let's see what became of Mayfair Games. I'm going to assume they were absorbed by TSR. Okay, they were sued by TSR. And they're still around today, kind of, sort of, as part of the publishing arm behind uh, Settlers of Catan. So Iron Crown owns them. Okay, so yeah, they don't exist anymore, basically. They were absorbed by a larger company. Not TSR, but a larger company. So yeah, this, you know, if, if you are into your 80s role-playing games, this might be kind of, you know, something that you'd be looking at. Um, and it also includes a lot of uh, pre-crisis information uh, for if you wanted to play like a Silver Age DC game, if for some reason you're into that sort of thing. Uh, this was followed up in 1999 by West End Games... DC Universe role-playing game. Uh, this was out, you know, around 1999, 2000, 2002. And it uses the Legend system, uh, so, which is the, you know, the D6 system. So if you're familiar with the Star Wars role-playing game that West End Games put out, then you'll be familiar with this system. So if you like that system, uh, this might be the book for you. It's also a little bit more modern, so uh, yeah. There's also a, a Gotham City source book and a Metropolis source book. Uh, looks like those might be the only source books that were released, though. And then uh, my personal favorite 
of the RPGs because it's basically just a branded version of my favorite superhero RPG is uh, DC Adventures by Green Ronin. Uh, so this this book is extremely rare. For some reason, it just costs a lot of money, and the other books are pretty cheap. You can pick up those old books for basically nothing, because you know they're ninety, they're eighties and nineties RPGs, but loads of them were printed, and yeah, they they're available. This did not have a long life. It was rendered obsolete almost as soon as it came out. It came out right around 2014, I'm pretty sure. Just before uh, the New 52. And all of this information was like post-crisis, DC Universe from 1985 up through uh, like 2014. And then the new 52 happened because Warner Brothers is a crap company that does not uh, deal well with its licensors. Or licensees, rather. And they basically rendered everything null and void in this RPG source book. So it died pretty quickly. Not a lot of copies of anything were printed. And now it's super friggin' expensive. And they put out a couple books for it. There's a uh, two-volume Heroes and Villains guide, which just gives you stat blocks for everyone in the DC universe for Mutants and Masterminds. And then there's the Heroes Handbook. And then there's uh, the DC Adventures Universe book, which is a source book explaining, you know, the major settings in... The DC Universe. So, those are resources that you can use if, you know, you want to play around in that world, you want to have your heroes fight the Joker or something like that. Those resources are available to you. And then over on the Marvel side of things, um, you have TSR's Marvel Superheroes. Uh, this is perhaps best known for its attribute system, which has the very memorable name of Face Rip, uh, which stands for Fighting, Agility, Strength, Endurance, Reason, Intuition, and Psyche. And so, you know, whenever you hear someone talk about a Face Rip, when it comes to superhero RPGs, this is the game they're talking about, Marvel Superheroes. It's fairly beloved. Uh, it had two editions in the 80s. And uh, a lot of people enjoy it. There was also in uh, 2000... Actually, sorry, I skipped around a little bit. Need to change these around here. Uh, TSR followed it up in 1998. So they took a little bit of a, uh, a break there. And uh, this was the Marvel Superheroes Adventures game using the Saga system. Uh, so this is a card-based system. And I don't know a whole lot about this one. 
Uh, honestly, I've never played it. I haven't heard a lot. I believe this was used in uh, one of the role-playing episodes of uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, for anyone who listens to that podcast. Uh, I, I distinctly remember them using a system that used cards, so I'm pretty sure they were doing it in this particular system. But this came out in 1998. Uh, doesn't appear to have very much going on as far as uh, like shelf life. And it was replaced in 2003 by Marvel Universe. This was published in-house by Marvel Comics. And as far as the resources, I think this might still use the Saga system. I'm not sure, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what system this uses, but this is, you know, like a current to 2003... Marvel role-playing game. And then from there, they put out a Marvel Heroic role-playing game in 2012. So this is the most current uh, Marvel RPG. And it uses the Cortex Plus system for anyone who's familiar with that. So... Those are your resources for if you want to run something in the Marvel or DC universe. Uh, this is where kind of the boring portion of the show ends because now we're getting into systems that I'm familiar with and systems that I would recommend uh, more so than, than using one of these kind of licensed worlds. So first up, I of course have to talk about Mutants and Masterminds. Because Mutants and Masterminds 3rd Edition is my favorite superhero game. This is the superhero game that I think you guys should run. Um, unless you don't like the D20 system, in which case there are other options. Uh, but this is, you know, like I had Steve Kenson on the show very, very early on. Um, I love this game. This is a super fun game. I've run it before. I've played in it before. Uh, there's tons of resources available from Green Ronin, which you can see here. But 3rd Edition Mutants and Masterminds is very, very good. It plays like a comic book. The, the whole time you play it, you can tell the designers really, really know their stuff when it comes to the storytelling structure of a comic book. And so that's why I... You know, recommend this over, you know, other systems. Now, that being said, I also really love Savage Worlds. And Savage Worlds just base by itself with, you know, this companion, the superpowers companion, uh, can also run a pretty good superhero game. Uh, Shane actually talked about it on the show, uh, doing a, a system... I think this was uh, playtesting for Savage Worlds Adventures Edition, where he ran uh, Justice League Dark versus Midnight Suns, which 
sounds like a lot of fun. And Shane's a, a huge comic book fan as well. We're both huge fans of Daredevil. Uh, but yeah, Savage Worlds is also good for superheroes. And the Superpower Companion just kind of gives you some additional information about how to tailor base suede to running a superhero game. Now, if you are into a meta plot, you don't want to come up with your own world, uh, but you don't necessarily want to play around in the sandbox of DC and Marvel, Savage Worlds also has another great system for you, Necessary Evil. Now, the meta plot of Necessary Evil, the, the hook of what makes this game unique is that all of the superheroes are dead. Aliens invaded the Earth, and they defeated all of the superheroes. So, who will defend the Earth from the aliens? The bad guys. The player characters are supervillains, and you guys have to fight off the aliens. So there's a lot of cool complexity there and a lot of kind of interesting stories to tell as far as, you know, we may be bad, but this is our world to rule and you are going to get out of here, stupid aliens. So, yeah, that is uh, Necessary Evil, one of the options that you'll have. Now, real quick, I'm going to go over to Reaper here uh, to show you some of the uh, options that you might have if you are, you know, looking for generic superhero miniatures. Even here, there's not many, uh, but the, the line you'd be looking for is Chronoscope, because uh, Chronoscope is kind of their non-fantasy line. There's some Savage World stuff, too, that they have. You know, if, if you're looking for, uh, like, dudes in trench coats and stuff like that, they've got, you know, Deadlands Noir minis that can be used there. Same with Western minis. But here, you know, you'll see everything from a, a space goblin in power armor, uh, World War II soldiers... Cavalry officers from the Civil War, uh, space smugglers. I'll show you guys some of these as we go through here, and then I'll stop on specific uh, superhero ones. You got like post-apocalypse stuff, which can easily be adapted to uh, superheroes. A lot of this stuff I have, and uh, you know, I've, I've painted, or some of this stuff. I don't want to make it sound like I have all of this stuff, but you even got like. Circus Strongman, that kind of stuff, if, if you're going for that aesthetic. Uh, but here you've got some some options as far as, uh, like, supervillains, I guess. This is a uh, rhino, rhinocerix. He is a rhino dressed like a nutcracker. Shadow Talon, kind of a wolverine knockoff. There's a cyborg assassin, looks a lot like Deathlock if, you know, you're looking for something like that. 
some cowboys, Xu Fang, Femme Fatale, Sumo Wrestler. But yeah, there's a lot of good resources here on, uh, you know, Reaper Minis as far as just kind of generic non-fantasy stuff uh, for a superhero game and some kind of superhero-specific stuff once we get to it. The Black Mist, who is basically the Shadow. Devil Girl is a supervillain. Professor Kraken, that's great. Krampus, I've actually got that mini sitting right here. Just got Krampus. Some Men in Black ripoffs here. A Mountie. Bruce Lee. Another uh, cyborg hero that you can use. Sam Ayers looks a lot like Harry Dresden, but not enough for me to be like, I'm going to get that and use that as Harry Dresden. Dr. Dread. Doesn't really look like a doctor, per se. There's a nun with a revolver. Night Slip. Kind of a female shadow. Natalia's kind of a, uh, a Black Widow type character. I did her as uh, the agent from Never Say Never, or sorry, from uh, No One Lives Forever. Kind of a Starfire hero here. Zatanna, basically. Basically Plastic Man. So yeah, there there are a few things here. You've got kind of a Sergeant Rock type character. You've got a Speedster. Uh, they they do have a couple characters who do like straight up have uh, like capes and stuff though. I'm just trying to get to them. Raptor, Angel, basically. Not wild about that pose though, I must say. The Fox. Rex Dark. Frank Russo, who's kind of a Punisher-type character. Eden. A little bit Matrixy. Max Decker is one of my favorite Reaper minis. Um, I've painted this one before. He, he was my first, uh, like, object source lighting and also my first comic-style mini. Uh, so he's got kind of a soft spot. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Max Decker. Uh, I would paint him differently if I did it all over again. I'd change a couple things. But all in all, I am very happy with the way he turned out. 
Got some mad scientists. Here's here's one that's a straight up superhero. Uh, Captain Griffin. Kind of generic looking, but you know you can do any kind of symbol work you want on the chest, on the cape, that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, as far as superhero minis go, that's really what you've got. Um, just what we've seen here. And there's there's a couple that I didn't click on that also work for superheroes. But that's really what you're working with uh, when it comes to miniatures. Or you can, you know, create your own miniature. So uh, let's flip back over to Solo and I'll talk a little bit about philosophy and strategy and how to make running a superhero game interesting. Alrighty. So when it comes to superhero games, there's a couple things that you want to figure out before you even pitch the game to your players um, because superheroes are a very broad genre and even calling them a genre well they are a genre in and of themselves but there's subgenres within superheroes so you need to decide you know what era of superheroes are we running are you doing something modern? Are you doing something kind of, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, are you going for more of a pulpy Frank Miller 1980s, lots of ninjas, lots of, uh, you know, violence, uh, street level type thing? Are you going, you know, super 90s Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee's X-Men, that kind of stuff? Um do you want to go straight up Silver Age, go back to the 1950s and, uh, you know, ha have a little bit of fun with, uh, you know, superheroes fighting aliens and doing silly stuff uh, like fighting statues of conquistadors that were animated by uh, space aliens like they did in the early Teen Titans? Do you want to play a super powered version of World War Two, which I did? Uh, for a couple sessions. That was actually a really fun campaign. It was an online campaign, so it fell apart because I'm not good at online campaigns. Um, but it was a ton of fun, and with the right group of people, I think it would have uh, you know, gone on for a long time. It's a world that I would really like to get back to at some point, and I will definitely try to do that one again. My original idea for it, though, uh, like for the first session, was amazing. They stormed Normandy Beach as superheroes, and they fought a giant Nazi robot. I'm very proud of myself for that. But anyway, there's all kinds of things that you can do. So for, for anyone who needs a breakdown of what type or what era of superheroes there are, let me be the one to kind of break that down for you. Any comic book fan will know this classification. So first up, you have the Golden Age. This is the 1930s and 1940s. This is where your you know, superpower World War II would come in. Uh, basically, these are less powerful heroes, less sophisticated heroes, um, and you're fighting a lot of mad scientists and, uh, you know, foreign agents 
You may even be fighting on the front lines of World War II like I did. Um, but there, there's going to be a, a very kind of pulpy feel to this particular era. And so your power level, uh, which I'll go ahead and fold into this, in deciding your setting, you also need to decide what kind of power level you want to go. And a lot of times your power level will be limited by the setting that you pick. So in this setting, you'll be looking at kind of lower powered heroes. These are heroes that can only do, you know, a couple of things. You know, you might have a guy who can leap tall buildings and is super strong, like Superman was initially. Um, you know, a lot of your heroes might not even have powers. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll have someone like the original Adam, who before he could shrink down, this is actually a different guy, Al Pratt, uh, was the Golden Age Adam. He was just short and could fight. Uh, you also had Wildcat, who was pretty much the same way, only he wasn't short. He, he, he could fight really well. Batman. Batman's a Golden Age character, no powers. Never developed any powers. Uh, or you'll have people like Jay Garrick, the Flash, who can run fast, and that's all he can do. You're not going to have people with all of these, you know, massive, expansive power sets that can do all these different crazy things. In all likelihood, you're going to have maybe three powers at the most. Uh, you can fly, you're super strong, and you have x-ray vision. That's, you know, the, the niche that Superman settled into in the 1940s. Uh, you know, that's what you'd be looking at at the very top end. When you have a large nose, sometimes you close your own water bottle. Not fun. Not fun at all. Anyway, from there, uh, you go to the Silver Age. Here's where things start to get a little bit weird. Here is where you can start having uh, alien heroes who look like aliens. Uh, whereas in the Golden Age, that wouldn't necessarily fly. Here you can have broader, more expansive powers, a la someone like Green Lantern. Hal Jordan Green Lantern, not uh, not Alan Scott Green Lantern, who you know was very, very limited and his powers were more magic-based. Here's where you know, you're going to have more science-based heroes. This is where you know, your, your villains are going to be aliens. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. There's going to be a lot more crazy weirdness. And it's going to be a lot more campy and a lot more silly. Uh, from there, you move into the Bronze Age. This is your, you know, 70s and 80s comics. And this is where you're going to have some more uh, kind of street-level heroes. You can still have, you know, powerful Bronze Age characters... All of the, you know, powerful Silver Age characters carried over into the Bronze Age. But you're going to be dealing with uh, more sophisticated material here. Uh, this is where, in, in the Bronze Age of comics, Green Lantern and Green Arrow were doing a story where Green Arrow's former sidekick Speedy had a drug problem. Uh, this is where... The Punisher comes in and you start to deal with kind of the uh, the blowback of Vietnam and how it has affected people. Um, you're you're going to have more social issues. Uh, things are going to look a little bit more bleak here, but, you know, the heroes are here to bring in 
optimism. From here, you go full on into the Dark Age. This is the late 80s, early 90s. This is where, you know, your heroes are going to have more of a hard edge to them. This is where Wolverine comes in. Punisher is more prevalent in this era. Um, things are going to be a lot more violent. Your heroes might not have as solid a moral compass. Things might not be as optimistic. That's kind of where you fall in. And once you get into the Dark Age... Uh, yeah, you're going to have some powerful characters, but for the most part, people are going to be more street level. It's going to be a lot more big guns, lots of pouches, uh, martial arts, that kind of stuff. Weaponry. That's more what you're looking at in the kind of grim and gritty 90s, the, the Dark Age. Then you go Modern Age. And Modern Age is where, you know, you're going to have more of a, you know, Avengers movie feel. Uh, high power with a little mix of low power for, you know, people who want that. Um, high adventures, you know, anything from supervillains to aliens. This is kind of your, uh, your, your big tent superhero world. If you, if you want to have a little bit of everything, set it in the modern world and just kind of do it episodically. You should always play a superhero game episodically, by the way. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that too. But yeah, those are, those are kind of your eras and along with them your power levels that you can expect from a superhero game. Now, when it comes to the structure of the story, uh, like I said already you're going to want to be more episodic. One of the reasons why I love Mutants and Masterminds so much is the whole game is structured around superhero and comic book storytelling. Every session of Mutants and Masterminds is structured like a comic book issue. Or like an episode of Batman the Animated Series, or Justice League, or, you know, whatever your favorite superhero cartoon is. Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I've been watching that with Elfie recently. So, there's going to be, in every encounter, every session, a moment where the players encounter the threat for the first time. And they will more than likely lose that fight. In fact, they will definitely lose the fight. Whether that means they're beaten into submission and captured, or the bad guy gets away, or, you know, some circumstances force them to not be able to seal the deal and arrest or kill the bad guy, depending on how you want to run it. Mutants and Masterminds then rewards them with hero points to be used later um, because, you know, in, in the end they have to overcome the bad guy in some way. Then there's the, you know, debriefing from the encounter. You know, what went wrong? What do we do wrong here? How do we improve this? How do we make it better? How do we overcome this threat by the end of the issue, the end of the episode? And from there... That's when they have to formulate their plan, find out where the bad guy is holed up, 
uh, have the confrontation, and they'll have to come up with some way to overcome the issues that they ran into in their first encounter. This is typically where in Mutants and Masterminds the hero points come in, and they'll have to use their hero points to, you know, succeed at something they might not have been able to succeed at initially. They'll need to be able to, you know, use their resources in creative ways to overcome the obstacle and ultimately win the day. And that's the resolution. That's where your session should end with the bad guy either dead or in the custody of whatever authority you want to put them in custody of to break out later and continue to cause you problems. I'm sorry, it happens every time. It's it's something you just have to accept as a fan of superheroes. You know, you, your heroes can't be killing people necessarily, but if the bad guys go to jail, they're just going to keep breaking out. It's, you know, continuous cycle. Inevitably, you have to wonder, you know, why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker? And the reason Batman doesn't kill the Joker is more people buy comics with the Joker in them than when they don't have the Joker in them. So DC always has to be able to bring him back. Basically, do you want to play D&D? Do you want to read a comic book? You just have to have to accept that. And if you as the player want to be like, no, he's going to break out again. I'm going to kill this guy. Uh, yeah, you can do it. You can You can do that in an RPG. You might have to deal with how your teammates perceive you after that, or how the public sees you. But that choice is there. It's yours to make, and it can make for some interesting roleplay. But, you know, it's always cool to have, you know, uh, you can do a session that spills over into another session. You know, you can do a two-parter, or a three-parter, or a four-parter. Uh, maybe you can even, you know, have some kind of mini or maxi series that builds, uh, you know, upon a storyline. But ultimately, and this is one way to, to kind of prevent superhero fatigue or fatigue of, uh, you know, a system. Ultimately, every session needs to have a resolution to it where, you know, there's we've caught the bad guy or, you know, we know what we need to do to catch the bad guy next time. Or, you know, we have this new information on this greater threat that was revealed to us. There's got to be some kind of resolution, but also something that hooks them for next time. And so I like that Mutants and Masterminds has that built into the mechanics. Um, now, Savage Worlds is open-ended enough that if you're running a Savage Worlds game you can, you know, definitely build that in. It's Savage Worlds is incredibly easy to modify in that way. So you can you can do it that way with Savage Worlds. I've not played any of the Marvel games or the earlier DC games, so I don't know how that works. Uh DC Adventures is Mutants and Masterminds, so it's built in there. So yeah. Storytelling-wise, that's what you want to do. You need to make sure that there's resolution and, you know, they want to come back next time. Or that if you leave something dangling, if you leave a cliffhanger, it's good enough to make them want to come back. And you need to have an idea of where the story is going in advance. You need to kind of plot out your your arc to continue to use comic book terms and have a terminus in mind for this is where the story ends. 
this is the end state of this particular story. We can come back and revisit it with a later story. But ultimately, this is going to be an 8-issue story or a 10-issue story. 12 issues if you want to get really crazy. That would be a comic book maxi series is 12 issues. So that's, you know, you're telling 52, even though that lasted 52 issues. You're telling a story for a whole year. That's kind of like the maximum duration you want for a superhero game. You're not going to do a campaign that lasts for, you know, many, many years. It's the same storyline. That's not going to fly with a superhero game or a Western game or a Star Wars game. Really, that only flies with D&D because D&D is it's the blue jeans. It's the ones that it's the game that everyone comes back to. So you can do these interminably long D&D games that just last forever. Because no one's going to get... Well, people will get tired of D&D, but no one's going to get tired forever of D&D. So you've got that built in, we're always going to come back to it. And you don't necessarily have to, you know, have an idea of where things are going. I still say that you should. But for something like this, if you want a genre game to keep going, you need to have a clear idea of where the story is going and how you're going to resolve it. I've made that mistake before. That's why the World War II game fell apart, because I was trying to run it like D&D. And uh, my players weren't really having fun with it that way. And there were some other issues um, as far as you know, certain players... Expecting one thing and maybe me not delivering what they expected, their expectations not being clear to me, me not being clear of what I expected from the game, time slots not working out, all of that. It ended up being a kerfuffle. But it was a learning experience, and I had fun with it while it was going on. So, um, how do you handle playing a game in one of these established universes because i don't want to completely gloss over that i don't want to ignore the possibility that you guys want to run a game in the dc or marvel universe and as such i feel like i should address that and basically uh what you should do is find an era where there's room for exploration um, kind of like with Star Wars. Star Wars has these big gaps where, you know, the, the main story happens during this time, but what happens between stories here? Like, what happens between... God forbid, we've already been over this ground, but if you want to do, you know, what happens between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope again, there's... That's a gap between major stories where, you know, we don't really know what's going on, except now we do. We know everything that happened in the galaxy during that friggin' 20-year stretch. And Disney has no interest in looking at anything else. Yeah. Yeah, doing prequels is kind of a bad idea as well, because you're setting up, like, you know... There are certain events that need to happen. So my advice is basically uh, ignore major events. This is so easy to do with superhero comics. Um, 
you know, basically, you know, you can say the Justice League is around. Uh, you guys are aware of them. You're operating at a different level than the Justice League. They're off world. Uh, there, there's a bunch of teams that operate in the DC universe, uh, independent of the Justice League. Uh, so you guys would be on the level of like the Birds of Prey or the Teen Titans or someone like that in the DC universe. In, in the Marvel universe, you would be on the level of, I don't know, the West Coast Avengers, um, Alpha Flight, the Midnight Suns, somewhere in that vicinity. The you know the big guys, the X Men, the Avengers. They're they're off world. They're doing something crazy, uh, and and while while the Avengers are dealing with something going on in space with the Kree and the Scrolls, you are here on Earth. And Doctor Doom is doing something, and it's up to you guys to stop him. Uh, that that can you know be your your hook for a few sessions. You know, Doctor Doom's got something going on, and he broke into the raft, and he has recruited uh, Whirlwind and Venom and. Green Goblin. And so, you know, in four sessions, you guys have to deal with Whirlwind, you have to deal with Venom, and you have to deal with the Green Goblin. And then ultimately you'll find out what Doom is up to and uh, deal with him. One story that I came up with uh, just in my head as, you know, dreaming of, like, the perfect video game the video game that would just basically be Ryan Howard the video game. The idea I came up with was you would play as Daredevil, Punisher, and Spider-Man. And all at once, you would have Kingpin taking over the Magia, which is the uh, Marvel version of the Mafia. So Kingpin and the Magia, they, they are making a power play. And at the same time, uh, the Hand is pushing for control of New York as well. So they're butting heads, and then off here in the corner, um, Doc Ock put together the Sinister Six again. And Norman Osborn is also... Uh, like Kingpin gave Doc Ock the resources to put together a new Sinister Six... And then, uh, you know, Norman Osborn has lost control, and so the, the goblin's running around as well. And all of this is going down at the same time, and because it involves the Kingpin and the Punisher and... Or because it involves, uh, you know, Kingpin and the Hand and the Sinister Six all at the same time, that's what brings Punisher, Daredevil, and Spider-Man together. You could do something like that. You could have those circumstances where instead of those three heroes who would be the stars of this video game that I came up with, which would play out like uh, Arkham Knight with you know kind of three different play styles, but you, you take that and you take those heroes out, you know, you can still use those villains, but you you insert the player characters. And so the player characters have to deal with 
Kingpin fighting the Hand and the Sinister Six and Norman Osborn for control. And Kingpin thinking that, you know, he's got leverage over Doc Ock. You know, he, I, I broke you out of prison. I gave you these resources. And Doc Ock going, no, I'm Doc Ock. I'm in charge. These are my guys. And so you've got some infighting with the villains. And you have New York hanging in the balance. What are your heroes going to do? That sounds like fun to me. I'd love it. I'd want to be the Punisher. But, you know, I love it. That's great. In my opinion. I don't. You might think it sucks. Maybe you don't like any of those villains. In that case, uh, you know, you can, you can have the Masters of Evil pick on you guys. And, you know, Baron Zemo really has it in for you. Um, you could have Hydra and AIM. Those, you know, they're, they're good, kind of, you know, generic, nonspecific. They fight everyone. A lot of cool stuff there. Maybe you're like me and you're super proud of your MODOK voice. So you want MODOK to appear. I am the mental organism designed only for killing. I am MODOK. I love doing that. It's a shame I'll never get to do it at the table. <clears throat> I don't even know if it's particularly good. There have been so many different interpretations of what MODOK sounds like. That's just my favorite. I like it when he sounds mechanical. Kind of like he does in Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. My definitive Marvel Universe. Actually, my definitive Marvel Universe is the one that we see in kind of the, like the cross-section of Spider-Man, the animated series, the X-Men animated series, Iron Man, and The Incredible Hulk, all from the 90s. That, that cross-section of shows and how they all kind of interact with each other at different points, that's my Marvel Universe. Followed very closely by Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes which is an even more expansive, all-encompassing Marvel Universe that touches on most aspects. But still, that's my ideal Marvel Universe. You could do the same thing over in DC. Um, you know, like, if you, if you want to do something in, like, the, you know, Justice League Unlimited world, the Bruce Timm-verse, that's awesome. Also very cool. And now there are a bunch of minis for it thank you idw screw you warner brothers i will just unleash a tirade well i'll probably end up unleashing that tirade next week uh in the interview that that i'll be having um but yeah the storm's coming on that one because that's some ridiculous nonsense that warner brothers pulled anyway Excuse me. Sorry. You know, that that's kind of the, the way you want to address uh, a superhero game set in the Marvel or DC universe. The big guys are off-world, or, you know, if you're doing a lower-powered game, the big guys are scouting you as new talent. You know, you could potentially join the Justice League. You could potentially be an Avenger. Uh, but we want to see how you handle this situation 
with Claw trying to uh, invade Wakanda, Black Panther's going to help you out here because he's got the hook up there. He's the king. He would like your assistance, though. Ulysses Claw's back. Uh, go to Wakanda and help him out. Uh, you know, or, you know, let's see how you handle, uh, let's see how you handle Hive in the DC universe. And Hive hires Deathstroke to take you guys out after, you know, a couple of situations where, you know, you foil their plans. I know that's basically the Judas contract, uh, from Teen Titans, but still, it's, it's a cool story. And it works. You know, how, how are you guys going to handle the nuclear family or uh, the Royal Flush Gang? The Royal Flush Gang are, you know, on a crime spree in Central City or Keystone City or even Gotham, if you want. Although in Gotham, it's like a competition of who's going to show up first. It's like, all right, Batman's across town, but, you know, Nightwing could make it. Uh, the Birds of Prey might be able to, to be involved in this one. You get there, Robin's already cleaned up the situation. Which Robin, it depends on, you know, your timing. It'll be Tim Drake in my game. But, anyway, I digress. That is how you handle uh, those particular universes. Now, when it comes to a generic universe... Yes, night. Look, Elfie, if I'm running a game in a DC universe, Nightwing is going to be there. You, you guys will interact with Nightwing at some point. Because I am a huge Nightwing fan. He'll be there. He'll be your mentor. You guys are going to learn how to be superheroes from Dick Grayson. Have fun. And you will have fun, because he's Dick Grayson. But, anyway, when it comes to a generic superhero game, um, a lot of times there's going to be some difficulty in figuring out what are we going to do. One of the, you know, kind of siren calls of a established universe is you know who the major players are. You know that if you want to do something with gangs in the Marvel Universe, you can bring in Tombstone or the Kingpin. If you want to do a story set in space in the DC Universe, you've got the Dominators. You have the Manhunters. The Guardians of Oa can be there, you know, sorting things out. The Green Lantern Corps, you'll, you'll interact with whatever Green Lantern is over that sector. Those resources are all there for you to, to call upon. But in your own setting, your own generic superhero world, how do you create a world with verisimilitude that your players want to inhabit and, you know, feel like they're it? They're, you know, the tops. And with that, you do have to do a little bit of legwork. You do have to come up with, you know, who are the major players? Obviously, the PCs are going to be, in all likelihood, the major players. I like to come up with, you know, 
side superheroes who were also around. In my World War II game, uh, there was a character named Excalibur. And he was quite literally, he, he was a combination of Superman and Thor, basically. Uh, he was a scientist who had uncovered Excalibur in Britain. He also had some, like, Captain, Captain Britain thrown in there. Because he was sworn to protect the Isle and all of its holdings. Uh, but he literally... Excalibur transferred its power to him and Merlin was called from the Outer Worlds to be his mentor, a la Shazam. And there was this hero named Excalibur running around who was, you know, fighting for the British in World War II because he was defending the Isles. And I also came up with a character, he didn't show up at all, but there's a character uh, named the Night Raven, who's basically that universe's Batman. And he's a nut. Anyway. You might want to come up with some other heroes for them to run into. Uh, you know, just in case. Or, you know, your your player characters might have a hero that mentored them. And if they have a he like if they used to be a sidekick, uh, that, you know, their old mentor might be running around somewhere. May need their help. That's always a good thing to have. And, you know, that's... That's something you should ask your players when you are creating your game world. And when you're doing Session Zero, when you're creating your heroes, ask each of your players, you know, are you a first-generation hero? Did you come to this conclusion yourself and, you know, decide to put on a costume and fight crime? Or were you mentored by someone? And, you know, if you were mentored by someone, who were they... Uh, you know, what did they do? How, how was your relationship with them? How did it end? What brought you to the circumstances that you're in now where you are part of this new superhero team? And then also, you need to figure out how all of these players interact with each other. Obviously, they are a superhero team. Uh, but, you know, did they join together organically? Do they already know each other? Are they just now coming together? Is there someone like, you know, Maxwell Lord from the 70s and 80s Justice League who is funding this whole thing? You know, he's, he's the money behind it. He's bringing these heroes together to, you know, work with each other. Or is it a situation where you guys are being mentored by older heroes and they formed you together as a team like Young Justice? Or, well, the Teen Titans formed by themselves. They were sidekicks who, you know, declared their independence. You know, are, are you an offshoot of a different superhero team like the West Coast Avengers or, uh, you know, Justice League International? Is there some, you know, commonality that binds you guys together? Like, are, are you all mutants like in uh, X-Men? Are you all aliens? That would be interesting. So, you know, you'll have to determine working with your players because, you know, everyone's if you say, you know, this is a team of all aliens, you're inevitably going to have someone who's like, I wanted to be the Punisher and they're going to be a little bit miffed because now, you know, they have to be a, the Punisher who's an alien, which is dumb. I don't care how many times they try it. You can tell me all you want that Cosmic Ghost Rider is cool. 
Alien Punisher's not cool. And neither is, like, Supernatural Avenging Angel Punisher from the 90s. Or Frankencastle. None of that's cool. Punisher is, you know, Garth Ennis Punisher. Or, uh, you know, Stephen Grant early Punisher. But I have strong opinions about the Punisher. Because he's one of my favorites. Him and Daredevil and Spider-Man. Those are my Marvel guys. And throw Wolverine in there too. <clears throat> but, anyway. You have to have an idea of how these superheroes are coming together. And also, who is their threat? Who are they facing down? You'll have to come up with a villain of the week or a villain of the two weeks if you're doing a connected session. Uh, but how does it ultimately all fit together? You know, is this a team that's just kind of going around, uh, you know, taking it week by week? Hey, we have a new threat, like, uh, you know, Spider-Man and his amazing friends, where, you know, a supervillain broke out. Let's, uh, you know, pull the book off the shelf and the apartment turns into our headquarters. You could do it like that. Or, you know, do... Do you have someone at the top, someone like the leader from The Incredible Hulk or Lex Luthor, who is pulling the strings, saying, you know, I, I'm wearing them down. I'm learning more about them as I send out these henchmen to, to deal with them. And eventually there's going to be some kind of confrontation between them and the, the big bad. Is this someone that they all have a past with? And... You know, they, they all are, are looking to get revenge on this specific supervillain. <clears throat> yes, the big bad is Jeffrey Combs. Uh, the, the big bad has always been Jeffrey Combs, uh, except Giancarlo Esposito is pulling the strings behind Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs was just the pawn in this game uh, the whole time. So, yes. There's that. Because if you haven't noticed, and they're even doing it with Far Cry 6, Giancarlo Esposito is always behind it. He's behind it in The Mandalorian, in The Boys, in Breaking Bad. Spoilers for all of those, but it's been a while for all of them. So yes, while Jeffrey Combs is always, you know, the the man in the makeup on Star Trek and he's Wei Yung, you know, pulling the strings in Deep Space Nine. Uh, in these modern times, Jeffrey Combs may appear to be the big bad, but it's actually Giancarlo Esposito. Who is a fantastic actor, by the way. I will not complain about him being, you know, basically the same role and everything because he does it so well. I love him. However, if he ever plays like a good guy, I'm never going to trust him. Because, why should you? I mean, look at him. He just looks sinister. It's one thing I love about him. He's, he's perfect. If I could cast him as every single villain, I would. Amazing. This is not going to turn into the Ryan Gushes about Giancarlo Esposito show, though. We can do that later. But, anyway. 
once you have a reason for, uh, you know, your, your heroes to come together and you have some kind of threat that they are facing off against, you're pretty much off to the races at that point. You just need to remember, uh, you know, to keep things streamlined, to keep everything, uh, you know, moving towards this ultimate conclusion and to have some kind of climaxing conclusion at the end of every session. So there'll be a lot of time management on your end. Now, another thing to address uh, specifically when it comes to superhero games is how to deal with the fact that you're inevitably going to have someone at the table who wants to be Superman or Thor and someone at the table who wants to be Batman or Punisher or Daredevil. You're, you're going to have an imbalance of power at your table. And... Really, you have an imbalance of power in just about every game when you think about it. If you think about it logically, you know, there, there's balance that goes into making sure the fighter and the wizard are both able to, you know, be powerful and be cool in their own way. Uh, so there's there's balance built into the game. But ultimately... If you think about them in real life, there's a guy who knows how to use a sword really well, and then there's a guy who's, you know, wielding the forces of creation. Who's more powerful in that situation? The guy who can conjure things out of the thin air or the guy who knows how to use a sword? So that's that's kind of the sandbox that you really have to play in in any RPG. Anytime you mix people with power, people who can use magic with, you know, ordinary people who are just really good fighters, you're going to have that imbalance of power. Uh, now, in superhero games, it does tend to be a little bit bigger because, you know, you're going to have situations where a bunch of these characters can fly and these others can't. So how does that, you know, change the way you need to approach encounters? And it's the same, you know, if, if you have a Star Wars game where someone's a Jedi and everyone else isn't, or, you know, there's multiple Jedi, but a multiple non-Jedi. I don't personally believe in the all Jedi, no Jedi rule. I've not played West End games, Star Wars, where that came from, though. So that might be a thing you have to consider in that particular game, because, you know, from what I understand, Jedi get ridiculously overpowered over you know a smuggler but in this situation you know how do you keep superman engaged but how do you keep uh you know nightwing engaged too the answer is you give them different challenges you give superman and this is what makes superman an interesting character and how you know interesting stories can be told with superman you give him something that's a challenge to him not physically because He's super strong. Eventually, you're just going to have to invent ridiculous ways if you only challenge them physically. You have to challenge them mentally or challenge them morally. So, you know, you, you have a situation, and, and this wasn't pulled off well in Man of Steel, I will say, but you have the situation where... Superman can stop General Zod any time that he wants. The problem is the only way to stop General Zod is to kill him. 
does Superman kill General Zod? Zack Snyder said yes. Now, in his defense, Zack Snyder said yes, but reluctantly, and he's going to be very broken up about it, and it's going to ultimately change the way that Superman feels about things and his philosophy towards how he, you know, carries out this mission. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to see any of that come to fruition. Um, but you have to challenge players in ways that make them look beyond the character sheet beyond okay i can do this thing let me do this thing and roll the dice you have to make them you know use their brains a little bit maybe you have a character who is or you have you have a villain who's invulnerable he's got this machine that you know, prevents him from being touched physically. He's got this force field of lightning around him. And the players have to figure out how to shut off this force field of lightning to stop him from, uh, you know, ripping the first national bank out of the ground and throwing it at City Hall and, you know, just knocking down all the, all the buildings in his way. How are your heroes going to stop that? Well, they have to take out the source of this force field. Maybe it's a generator that's, uh, you know, on his belt. And so they have to find a weakness in the force field. They have to do the thing where, uh, you know, like from uh, Clone Wars, where you roll the thermal detonator slow enough that it isn't picked up by the, you know, the kinetic blocking of the shield. And so it gets under there and boom. It's inside the shield and that, you know, shuts it down. Now they can swoop in and fight him. Maybe there's an external generator that they have to find. Something like that. There, there has to be some kind of challenge to them mentally that makes them use their powers in creative ways and engages all of the players at the table. So, you know, you've got someone who's playing Nightwing and, you know, the fight, the, the big fight with the villain is up in the air here. Nightwing can't necessarily get there because everyone's flying. You know, so uh, so Captain Marvel and Hawkman are going to fly up there and deal with that situation. Green Lantern's going with them. Uh, but down here on the ground, you know, Blue Beetle, Nightwing, and uh, Booster Gold have to deal with these minions who are, uh, you know, messing with the city. And, you know, maybe there's a... a kind of lesser villain, bigger minion, main henchman there to kind of be the, the boss for them. And what it comes down to is with superheroes, you don't have to worry so much about never splitting the party. There are situations where you might punish the players for splitting the party, depending on what you have planned. But when you look at, like, a Justice League comic or, even better, the, the Justice League TV show, oftentimes what happens is to balance out that, you know, ensemble cast, they'll break off into teams. So, you know, uh, Superman and Hawkgirl are going to go this way, Green Lantern and Flash are going this way, 
Batman and Wonder Woman are going this way. And then ultimately they'll meet up in the end to, you know, kind of resolve the ultimate conflict. So there will be some splitting of the party and you're going to have to fight against your role players instincts that tell you, no, 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 don't do that. Don't split the party. You're going to die. That's a D&D &D rule. And that's a D&D &D rule specifically built around exploring dungeons. Um, because if you run into a room and don't know what's behind that door and you don't have your party backing you up, you're going to get your face wrecked by the six beholders that are waiting there for you. By the way, if you throw six beholders at your players, you're the devil. That's a lot of beholders. And if you do it right, there's not going to stand a chance. So no more than two beholders. And even that is excessive. I want to know what your players did to you that you're considering using multiple beholders. Show me, show me on the beholder miniature where the party hurt you. I should grab the beholder miniature, but it's back there. <clears throat> so. Anyway, when it comes to superhero games, don't be afraid to split the party and don't be afraid to let the party split up. Now you'll have to deal with each of those storylines, uh, so you'll need to know, you, you know, branching paths, but it's easier to railroad your players in a superhero game. Now. This is not me saying take away their agency at every possible chance. But it's easier to kind of spell out the pathways and who would best do what. Or what combination of heroes would kind of best work in a given situation. You may need the detective skills of Batman, but you'll also need the Flash's super speed over here. And then you may need uh, Iron Man's technological know-how, but you'll also need the physical strength of the Hulk. So there's, there's going to be combinations of heroes that you can you know plan out in advance. You, you know, you'll, you'll know we have a speedster and a magician... And, you know, they'll be able to work together on this if they pick up on the clues that'll show them, you know, hey, this works best if the speedster and the magician go this way. And, you know, the martial artist and the dude with the guns, they're going to be best suited over here. And so let's set something up for them. So that gets everyone involved and it, you know allows for all the players to feel special and feel like they're contributing in some way and gives everyone something to do. Is it a little bit railroady? Yes. But again, this is not D&D. &D. This is a different genre of gaming altogether. The only similarity between this and Dungeons and Dragons is that you're sitting around a table rolling dice. Don't treat superhero games or any other genre game like they are Dungeons and Dragons. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. And you're going to burn out quickly. Because you'll realize that only D&D is D&D. Only Pathfinder is Pathfinder. These systems are not just like D&D in, in different clothing. 
So you have to you have to kind of bend the rules and develop your own rules or, you know, use kind of the rules that I laid out here to make your game interesting and to, you know, do something cool and do something that your players enjoy and want to continue coming back to. Because ultimately, you know, as a DM, if you are big into comic books and you like fantasy role-playing, but you also want to do more uh, superhero games. It, it's a dream come true for you to, you know, create a world that your players love so much that they ask you, you know, during your D&D session, hey, when are we going to go back and do Mutants and Masterminds again? That was a ton of fun. I really liked that. I had, I had great fun with that. And to do that, you need to treat it differently. You need to make it feel like something special, something unique. Not just D&D, but there are no elves. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people forget when they build these games. You know, they, they basically think we're going to do a superhero dungeon crawl. Or, you know, we're, we're going to do this kind of D&D type thing, but with superheroes. And it just doesn't work. No, unfortunately, there are, there are no elves... In my superhero games, uh, there are the Dark Elves in the Marvel Universe, but I'm not running a Marvel Universe game, though I wouldn't be opposed to it. But no, in general, elves are not a race that I would get rid of in a fantasy game, so don't don't worry about that, Elfie. Uh, if you're if you're playing a fantasy role-playing game with me, the elves will always be an option for you. So there's that. I don't hate elves the way that some people do. Halflings, on the other hand, I don't hate them, but I don't see the point of them either. Some halfling people are going to get real upset with me, but I just don't care all that much about halflings. I'm sorry. Don't really care. Like, not even a little bit. I, I don't care about halflings. Gnomes, too. Something about the little folk. You can't trust someone who's down there all the time. You don't, You never know what they're up to. Unfortunately, what they're up to is not much because they're tiny. That was a height joke. Anyway, uh, that's really all there is to it when it comes to superhero games. That's, you know, the, the major ground that I want to cover Hopefully, this was a good resource for anyone who has struggled to get their players to enjoy a, you know, a superhero game. Uh, if you are nervous about kind of breaking up the fantasy RPG or the cyberpunk RPG that you guys play all the time uh, in favor of something like this, Hopefully this guide gives you some ideas as to, you know, how to make it interesting, how to, you know, make it fun for your players, and how to give them something different. Something, you know, different that they want to come back to. And if that something different is there, and it's something they enjoy, then you're not going to continuously run into issues of people fatiguing so i hope you guys enjoyed that and i hope you uh 
Hope you got something out of it. So that will do it for today's episode of uh, Rolling Bones. Uh, this Saturday morning, I am going to, uh, you know, for Danishes and Dragons, I'm going to be talking about Dark Sun again. Because I'm gearing up for Season 2 of my Dark Sun campaign. Uh, so I'll be talking about Roll20 and how I plan on using it. I might do a little bit of map making. I'm going to talk a lot about what the first session or the first couple sessions will be like for the players, what I have planned, and ultimately the storyline that we'll be pursuing this season and what kind of threats they can expect. So I am super psyched for that. It'll be cool to go back to Athos, especially now with the, uh, you know, Tasha's Cauldron rules that we have in there. Uh, I'll see what kind of things I can do with the Psy Warrior and some of the spells that they have in there. And yeah, we'll be talking a lot about Dark Sun. Uh, for any of my players in that campaign who are listening to this or watching this before Saturday, don't watch Saturday's stream. Uh, and I'll say it again on Saturday. Any of my players, don't watch the stream until after you know the first few encounters. Don't you'll you'll spoil yourself on the campaign. Just uh, as much as I love you guys supporting it, don't don't watch. Don't watch those games. Or sorry, don't watch those uh, those streams where we talk about Dark Sun because spoilers. Everyone else though, definitely watch it. If nothing else, you know, maybe you want to run Dark Sun and want to see some of my ideas. Maybe you just want to see how I plan for campaigns. Either way, I hope you guys will join me on Saturday morning. Um, next week, we'll be doing an interview. Venger Satanis is coming back, and he and I are going to, uh, you know, talk a little bit about some of our thoughts on kind of the culture of RPGs and some of the, you know, issues that have come up. Uh, related to kind of a cultural hegemony that's developing within role-playing. Uh, so we're, we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, attitudes towards creators, uh, attitudes towards specific content and games, and why we think that RPGs should be a big tent, broad space for lots of different ideas to be explored uh, regardless of whether or not you specifically or I specifically want to explore those ideas. It's a lot to talk about. We'll be getting into it more concisely with Venger. A lot of our thoughts are still coalescing on it, so uh, stay tuned for that. And until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.